Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Monday Mailbag. Three full segments of answering listener-submitted questions. If you want to get involved in Monday Mailbag, there's two ways to do it. One, whenever you're thinking of an NBA or Blazers-related question, just shoot it at me on Twitter. Send it my way, at Mike G. Rich, and I'll answer it on the show. It helps if you indicate that it's for Monday Mailbag. Occasionally, I get questions that are just out of the blue, and I'm not exactly sure if I should answer them on the internet or save them for the podcast. The other way to do it is just wait for Monday morning Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions for the show. You respond to that tweet, and I'll answer it on the show. All right, let's get into it. This first question comes from Blake Bataro at Ball Don't Lie 77 on Twitter, who asks, I know that tanking isn't in Dame's DNA, but at what point does strategy rule over pride? The better draft pick, the better asset we acquire to potentially trade. Can Dame be persuaded at this point that next season should be the priority? All right, I've got uh, Dame's answer right here. Let's see what he says about making next year a priority with 18 games left in the regular season. Wow, interesting. So Damian Lowe doesn't seem particularly enthusiastic about tanking. Look, players don't tank. It's just, I mean, maybe Draymond Green does, honestly. He seems like he's in on the tank this year. But generally speaking, players don't tank. The way you tank seasons is to take them out of the game. And Damian Lillard just won't let them won't let the team do that. In fact, he put a post up on Instagram tonight after the Blazers beat the Magic in Orlando that said, here we go, buckle up. You can't convince him that it's uh, a priority for next season. In fact, knowing Dame the way I do, he doesn't just think that the Blazers can make the playoffs. He thinks they can still make noise in the playoffs and compete for a championship. It's just the way he is wired. So Dame can't be persuaded, Blake. But let me tell you, you're not the only person who listens to this podcast and pays attention to the Blazers who has that on their mind. I do, I do or Edo. Let's go. Let's go. I do. I do. O three o nine two four two two on Twitter asks: After the Atlanta loss, why not fully tank? In twelfth place right now, tanking our way to the bottom couldn't be easier while the playoffs are so far from the team. Yeah, that seems to be um, at least. Prior to this Orlando Magic game, I waited until the end of the Magic game to uh, hit record on this thing because I didn't want the uh, the episode to be marred by me saying that the Blazers should tank um, if they happen to win. Uh, I don't think the Orlando Magic game changes much of my thinking, and my thinking is that, yeah, the Blazers making finishing eighth is not particularly valuable. But let me tell you, I, I tend to agree with you guys. I think they would be better off just saying, cool, this season is a, is a lost year. Let's um, let's just get healthy. But that's not the way they think. And let me try to lay out for you the reasons why the Blazers themselves, the players and coaches, think that way. And maybe even some other people in the front office, too. One, there is a certain cachet and a pride thing about Damian Lillard making the playoffs every year since the rookie season. That is extremely important to him. I'm sure it's a very important to Terry Stotts. Both of those guys would like to keep that streak alive for pride reasons. Additionally, the Blazers 
at least business side, can make some money from home playoff games. There's actual value to the team in making home playoff games. Now, as a fan, that shouldn't factor in anything anything you care about, but the reasons why they care might be, you know, a couple extra million bucks. That matters to people like them. I also think for the basketball-type reasons, um, the Blazers aren't going to compete for high-level free agents, both because high-level free agents don't go, but a handful of destinations, and... They won't have the cap space to lure those types of people. Also, not the type of summer where there's the sexiest names, but you get it. They're going to be competing for mid-range guys, basically mid-level exception type players. And being a team that was beat up by injuries but still rallied to make the playoffs could be the difference in, say, a team, a, a guy choosing Phoenix versus Portland for a relatively similar role. You say, listen, even our worst year, we still finish eighth. Look at your other options. It offers, like I said, some cachet to the team. It's a better selling point for that sort of when you're competing at, for, at guys at the same price. Now, I'm with you. I'm with you. The 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 Blazers probably should pack it in. They probably should play Dame 29 minutes a night and not 38 minutes a night and just hopefully those extra nine minutes of rest give them a guaranteed loss, but that's not what they're going to do. They're going to go for it. So, Sorry. All right, this next question comes from Bruce Clues at Bruce underscore Clues on Twitter who asks, given how wildly he miscalculated this season, should we trust Olshay heading into the offseason? And uh, for those of you who can't read the tweet, the S in Olshay is a dollar sign. Very clever Bruce Clues. You know I love those alphanumeric type of words. Um, listen, I think Neil gets... And I've been really critical of him on here. So, but I do think he get it's an he's like an easy finger to point at. I'll say a couple things. Last season, when they made the Western Conference Finals, that was the best team he's ever built. Um, getting Seth Curry in the off season was an incredible coup. Trading Rodney Hood was an incredible coup. Signing Ennis Cantor saved their season. He built the deepest, most talented roster he'd had. Of course, he didn't recognize that. He saved that exact line for three months later when he built this roster that was not good. But also to build that deep roster, he signed Nick Stauskas in the first 15 minutes of free agency. Uh, just an incredible whiff. He ended up having to trade away Stauskas and a couple second-round picks to get Rodney Hood, so it worked out okay in the end. This summer... Again, I think he chased uh, a bunch of guys that he was previously infatuated with. The Pau Gasol and Mario Azonia was kind of the theme of this summer, was 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 tra- chasing old flings. Um, and those didn't work out very well. What I'm trying to say is, don't trust him in the summertime. That's not his strength. Where Neil is good is working on the margins and making trades. He's been aggressive in making trades. I think he's been pretty good at making trades. So in July... When Neil is doing his thing and you are doubting him, that's cool. I think he's done poorly during that session of team building. But I think he's done pretty good during the draft. Not not great, but pretty good. Like, Gary Trent Jr. and Zach Collins are players. Anthony Simons, who really knows? But other guys, Pat Connaughton, Will Barton, uh, Alan Crabb kind of, are, are NBA players. Like, he's, he's found a way to, to, to make it happen. Um, the draft day trade that got the Mason Plumlee, like he's, he's, he, he's a good tinkerer. He's not a great free agent guy. So, you know, be a little bit wary, but remember that his strength as a person in the front office, and I still think he's probably an above average GM. Like 
He's not. He's made some real baffling moves, um, and he does some sort of like obviously dumb stuff that you can see happening. But I think overall, he's pretty good at it. He's just not good at the summer stuff. So hate him in the summer. Be cool in February. All right. This next question comes from Wallace Suddy at Wallace Suddy on Twitter, who asks, "Who, if any, of the recent Blazers could you imagine becoming a head coaches at the NBA level?" Okay, well, one reason Blazer has been a head coach at the NBA level, Earl Watson was briefly the head coach of the Phoenix Suns during the 2016-17 season. Shout out to my man Earl. Uh, Steve Blake is an assistant coach on the Phoenix Suns staff right now. I think Steve Blake could conceivably be a head coach, although he might not have the temperament. He's kind of a fighter. Um, Other guys who are coaches right now, Juwan Howard is the head coach of the University of Michigan. Nolan Nolan Smith is an assistant coach at Duke. Uh, They have a bunch of dudes who have kind of already graduated into the coaching ranks. Um, But if you're talking about really recent future, I I think um, it's a certain type of player who usually becomes an NBA coach. It's not usually a star or a borderline star like uh, CJ McCollum, I would call like a borderline star, like someone who isn't an all-star but is obviously good. It's very rarely true stars. Um, It just just doesn't happen very, very often. You know, Jason Kidd, I guess, is the best example, recent example of that. But um, he wasn't a particularly good head coach, and now he's maybe a really good assistant coach. So if I had to pick someone from the sort of Really recent teams. I'd say Tim Frazier is you're most likely to become an NBA head coach. That's based on I feel like point guards often get picked to be coaches, and Jim Frazier Tim Frazier is a dude who will stay around the NBA because he wants to and he loves it, and that is the type of personality that gets into coaching and sticks with it and rises through the ranks. All right, second segment, come back and answer more of your questions. Stick with us. Yeah, all right, welcome back. Still Mailbag Monday. Let's get to more of your questions. This first one comes from Plenty Money at Paint and PDX on Twitter who asks, Coronavirus, should I attend games? With a lot of question marks and a lot of exclamation points. Here's my advice on the coronavirus and public stadiums. Wash your hands, don't be racist. Feel like you follow those two rules, you'll be good. That's actually my everyday advice for existing, but specifically I think it uh, works out in this case. Uh, Joe Freeman of the Oregonian actually got the Blazers on the record today talking about what, how they will do, um, how they will address the coronavirus. Obviously there's big concerns about it. CJ McCollum has stopped um, signing autographs. I think other players are going to do the same. Apparently a memo went out today to NBA from the NBA to teams, basically telling players, you know, just give, give knucks, give daps. Don't give, um, you know, don't give high fives, don't do a lot of palm contact, maybe resist grabbing pens and jerseys and balls if possible. But here's what Joe Freeman from the Oregonian reported, specifically how the Blazers will address home games going forward. And this is directly from the team via Joe Freeman. We continue to monitor the situation closely and will keep guests informed of any changes to scheduled events at the Moda Center or Veterans Memorial Coliseum. We have increased the frequency of disinfecting high touchpoint areas on campus, providing additional hand sanitizing stations, switched to antibacterial soap, and have distributed informational preventative health flyers throughout the campus. At the guidance of health experts and authorities, we will continue to take all necessary actions to create a safe and healthy environment as nothing is more important than the well-being of our fans, 
players, and employees. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the immediate health risk for the U.S. public is low. So yeah, you can go to games. If you're comfortable going to work and being in public in general, uh, the games won't be much different. You're... If you're someone who is not compromised health-wise, coronavirus probably won't threaten you. If you do have some sort of immunocompromise, um, you know, check check with someone who's not a podcaster. Um, that's that. I'm not your guy for that. Next question comes from Dalton Schuster, Dal- at Dalton Schuster two on Twitter, who asks: Trade machine may be pointless because they aren't trading CJ, but CJ McCollum and Trevor Reza for Tobias Harris. And Josh Richardson, who says no? Oh, Dalton, I'm getting a call from Elton Brand. I'm going to put him on the line and see what he says about this trade. Wow, an aggressive rejection from Elton Brand who says, why would I trade for 35-year-old Trevor Ariza, two young players, particularly Josh Richardson, who was just the centerpiece in the Jimmy Butler trade, and Tobias Harris, who I just maxed out for CJ and a 35-year-old wing? Are you kidding me? Yeah, um, the person who says no is Elton Brand. The other person who says no is probably... uh, Neil Olshay, because I'm not sure this makes the Blazers dramatically better, although it would make them f- different and maybe more fun because of their different. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I pitched a Tobias Harris trade in the past. I'm not 100% sure he's better than CJ McCollum, and I'm not 100% sure that either team would value the other guy more. Like, I'm not, I don't think the Blazers would value Tobias Harris more than they value CJ, and I'm not 100% sure the Sixers would value CJ more than Tobias Harris. So, yeah, um, listen, you heard what Elton Brand said. Sorry. So this next one comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir, who's on Twitter, who says, Ooh, can I play trade machine as well? If Zach Levine demands a trade this offseason, would you trade CJ, Ariza, and Filler for Zach Levine and Otto Porter Jr.? What? Listen, <laughs> Trevor Ariza is not that good, y'all. He is not, br- like, he has been really good and fun, and I like that he is, um, willing to throw punches and yell at referees and um and and do the do the types of edgy things that uh endears him to fans he's kind of the fan favorite i was imagining um kent baysmore being so there you go but i i don't think that cj and ariza lands you zach levine and Otto Porter Jr. Um, real risk with trading for Otto Porter Jr. so maybe the price is low on him uh but yeah i can't i i i think would I do that? I think yes, because I think Levine and CJ are pretty comparable, and Otto Porter is, at, when healthy and on the court, way better than Trevor Reza. Um, I'm not sure the Bulls would do that. All right, next question comes from Spokeland at Brutal Telling on Twitter, and Spokeland, or Spokeland, depending on where you want me to put the emphasis, I missed this question last week, and that was my bad. I want to formally apologize. It was in my Word doc, and I just straight up skipped over it like a goofus but I'm getting to it here. It's just a little, it's not as timely as it would have been in the spirit of 2000s night. 2000s night was uh, a week from Sunday. So literally exactly perfect for the last mailbag. I blew it in the spirit of 2000s night. If Brandon Roy never experienced his knee and back injuries, who would be a better player in 2020 B Roy or mellow whose style of play translates better with age and, Spokeland notes that they'd both be 35 years old. 
I kind of think it's mellow because he's bigger and more of a bully, but B-Roy was so good in just short movement isolation that I still think he could get to his spots and raise up from the mid-range. But I do think Brandon Roy's game relied a little bit more on just sheer athleticism. He wasn't like blazing quick or a leaper, but his first step to get to his spots, to get past you and get to his left hand, he was really, that was a really uh, a move reliant on athleticism. His stop on a dime pull-ups, uh, just, I love me some Brandon Roy. So, But those moves were really reliant on athleticism where Carmelo is just a bully. He's like, he's, he's inefficient a little bit, but the, the thing that he does well is just like be bigger and stronger than dudes and push him out of the way. So I think at 35, I like bully ball better than, than B Roy's uh, mid range game. Although I do think Brandon Roy with his shooting touch, uh, if he had remained healthy, he would have, um, who would have aged gracefully. I just, 35 is pretty deep into an NBA career. There's just not too many dudes who play that late into their careers. Uh, I think LeBron James has warped all of our minds about how long people should play in the league. All right, third segment, coming back, finishing out the show with more of your questions. Stick with us. All right. Still Mailbag Monday. Still Mike Richmond. Still a pass first point guard, and we're still rolling with more of your questions. This next one comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who asks, Well, that may be all she wrote for this season, and I'm so forward thinking that I'm not looking to next season. Let's talk about two years from now. What is your prediction for the 21-22 opening day starting lineup for your Portland Trailblazers? I'm going to go Damian Lillard. I'm going to go C.J. McCollum. I'm going to go Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins, and the newly signed Justin Jackson. That's right. I'm predicting that the Trailblazers add a player from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill 2017 national champion Justin Jackson. Sure, that's who's going to play wing in two years. Sure. That's my guess. That's my that's my prediction. When I get it right, uh, remember that this podcast came out on March 3rd, 2020, and you heard it here first. Okay, next question from Logan Gillis. What less than obvious storylines will you be paying attention through the rest of the season? Stuff nobody's really talking about. Also, how many dunks will Anthony Tolliver throw down in his first game back after the Blazers acquired him on the buyout market? Logan, this is unbelievable. Uh... Already today, Anthony Tolliver played in the first quarter, played real minutes for the Memphis Grizzlies. So, first of all, I think it's against the rules for him to come back and play for the Blazers. Um, it prevents basically good teams from trading a player away and buying him back on the getting him back on the buyout market. Made famous by Jerry Stackhouse when he was traded away by the Dallas Mavericks and said, "See y'all in a month." Um, but. Anthony Tolliver caught back on with a team contending for the playoffs and just, I mean, I don't think it's particularly likely that he is the guy who quote unquote keeps the Blazers out of the playoffs, but he was a, he signed with Memphis today or yesterday. He's, he just got there and he played 18 minutes. He went four or five from three. It was plus 25 and had three boards in his Memphis Grizzlies debut. He did not dunk. So should he come back to the Blazers? I'm going to say zero dunks. But unbelievable, Anthony Tolliver back in the league and doing good stuff. Hard to believe. 
Okay, next question comes from Jack, loyal Blazers pod listener, at Jack Bershaw on Twitter, who asks, if you could trade jobs with any Portland media member, who would it be? Um, so <laughs> there, there are some, like, sort of cushy jobs that I, I don't think you guys know about um, for the Blazers, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not pick them. That I, that would, I would categorize them in the media world. But um, I think Michael Holton, who's who I'd trade jobs with, uh, the Blazers uh, analyst, on the radio broadcast. Um, I, I don't think I'm made for TV and I could not do what Lamar Heard does, but could I listen to the other guy mostly do play-by-play in the radio and occasionally come in with little little uh, quips? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, you know, this is kind of a radio show. I feel like I have some training in it. Uh, yeah, Michael Holden. That's who I'd be. I, do I have to trade? Like, does Michael Holden have to write next day stories for NBC or does he... Can, can we just reassign him, give him another? He's worked for Blazers for a long time. I'm sure he can get another gig. Okay, next question. Just Blazin, at Justin underscore B underscore Leak, who asks, Loved your section in the last podcast about unwritten rules in the NBA. It made me wonder, what are, if any, some unwritten rules in sports journalism? So I think there was for a long time some sort of protection about how you get quotes like if you're in like whether you're in the scrum or you or if it's a one-on-one and whether if it's a one-on-one but you're there and and then how you use the quotes but I think that's kind of dead I think like that etiquette in sports journalism has died in a lot of ways so I think that's an unwritten rule that some people really respect but is generally just like not not protected as much um and it doesn't really bother me I think it's just the nature of the beast if you want to get your own quotes you can do it you got to use your legs probably your, your hips too, to block someone out. Uh, but I think the unwritten rule that the, the thing that really came up when you, when you asked this question was, uh, not talking to players, not going to get quotes from players who don't play. My first year on the beat, I developed a really good relationship with Darrell Wright. Uh, we were, we were homies, um, like not like actual friends, but he was really helpful, professional, um, relationship. He would respond to my text messages when I was a very new reporter, which is very rare. So we were like, you know, we, we got along, we had a good professional relationship. Uh, but he didn't play very much. So going to him after games, like particularly after losses and be like, Darrell, what do you think would have been inappropriate? That's just not something you do. Um, it's disrespectful for him to do it. It would be disrespectful for me to put him in that situation. It's kind of just an unspoken, un, un, unspoken thing, an unwritten rule. Um, same with Chris Kamen, an incredible quote who didn't play really at all his final year in, uh, in, in Portland. And then he came back at the end of the year and he played one game. I want to say we were in Denver. No, no, no. It was actually definitely San Antonio. It was a game in San Antonio and he played, he like somebody got hurt and he played and played, you know, 19 minutes. And I talked to him after the game and he said, everybody wants to talk to you when you've been doing well. And I kind of was like, Doug, I can't come talk to you when you haven't played in a, six months and be like, Chris, can you give me your, you know, insight on the game? Like, that's just not what the post game is going to be like in practice and other things like that. Totally reasonable. Go talk to those guys and get quotes. But in the immediate aftermath of the game, I think one of the big unwritten rules in sports journalism is you don't go get quotes from someone who didn't contribute because that's inappropriate. Okay, last question of the show from KJM underscore B-Ball at B-Ball KJM on Twitter who asks, Mike, since the Trailblazer season is over, who do you like in March Madness this year? Well, I'd have to pick that pesky little upstart team from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Now, you're probably Googling their record right now, and you say, Mike, 
They're 11 and 13. They stink. They're the 15th best team in the ACC. And I would say they've moved up to 14th recently, friends. Here's what's going to happen. UNC is going to win the ACC tournament. They're going to go full Kemba. Get hot. Stay hot. Win the Natty. That's not true. They're going to lose in the ACC tournament and not make the NCAA tournament. And I won't really watch um, much college basketball because I think it's bad. But I will be a huge fan of whoever Duke loses to. So go that team. Hope it's a small school that I've never heard of before so I can rub it in my friends' faces. That's going to do it for this episode. Appreciate you listening. I love Mailbag Monday. I really appreciate all of you who make it possible. Let's do it again next week. Tell your friends that they can get involved too. You know how to do it. Tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or wait for the tweet I send out Monday morning soliciting your questions. Respond there. Also, this podcast is available wherever you already get podcasts. So if you're telling your friends about it, tell them just to go where they already get it. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. We're there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.